Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right. Well, you know, speaking of uh, being sky high, maybe we should blah, 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 blah. So this is how we'll go into our segue. <laughs> yeah. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Today, we're discussing incidental icons. Or we should say objects made by others that have fit so well with company brands. It's impossible to separate them from their adopted corporate parent. If you've bought new tires or have streamed a movie lately, you may have an idea of what we'll be talking about. So grab that 20-year-old scotch you may have been saving for a special occasion. Or one of the beers you bought last night. And kick back with us once again as we belly up to the bar. Here we are in the bar. And, you know, today is kind of a pretty cool, unusual topic, right? Incidental icons. Icons that have become part of a company's lore and a company's brand, but they didn't make the thing to start with, right? So that's what we're here to talk about. Wait, that's what we're here to talk about? Hello? Hello? Is this thing on? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I thought that's what we were here to talk about. Uh, Gee whiz, Todd. Well, let me put my bobblehead collection. Let me just slide that out of the way. Uh, My famous uh, graphic designer's bobblehead collection. Exactly, Uh, exactly. Sorry, Massimo. Uh, Looks like you're going to have to go back in the old (laughs) shoebox. Okay, but I have, speaking of uh, interesting stories, Elliot, what I have found is an incidental icon that actually, believe it or not, ties together see if you can guess what i'm talking about ties together a norwegian lamp company okay industrial light and magic an oscar nomination chuck e cheese an atari hmm. any of those what do those things add up to you besides those all sound like uh, those all sound like <laughs> categories in a round of jeopardy to me that potent potables, right? Or, or <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah, random yeah. ones. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So I've got quite a story to tell you, and we're going to spill some tea. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. We're going to spill some tea tonight. Wow, okay. All right. How about you? You want to give me a little hint of uh, what you got coming up there? Huh. Well, <clears throat> I wish I had something so uh, multifaceted in terms of... Uh, ingredients i suppose for lack of a better word because it (laughs) seems like you're about to weave a tail here oh yeah okay okay well i'm looking forward to that it's interesting you say scandinavia and this sort of thing which leads me to believe highbrow but then you talk about the sordid underbelly of hollywood which makes me think lowbrow 
Mm-hmm. Hmm. I would say my company icon is somewhere in between. Okay. It's yeah. not. Okay. Somewhere in between high and low brow. Yes. Although, All right. although, here's my hint. You will often need to look up to find it. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Yes. Well, this is going to be a hard guessing game because, as we said in the beginning, these are not necessarily icons that uh, the uh, company made or built. It's something they acquired and ran with it. So that's going to be a little bit tough. Um, all right. Have to look up. So it's an airplane, a spaceship. <laughs> Now, yes. a, a moon, a celestial If it's a spaceship, you better have some amazing <laughs> vision. If you're, yeah, it's the International Space Station. I don't. Know. It's uh, uh it's the DirecTV satellite. Um, right, oops. right, right. Actually, you know what? When I said DirecTV, I just tipped my hand slightly, very, what? very slightly. Yes. What? Yes. All right, I'm con- I'm totally confused. So a DirecTV satellite. Um, I mean, that, I don't know. I don't know what a, an icon for DirecTV is, so well, uh, give me another hint. Sure. Well, there's a couple things. Um, so first of all, of course, one of the main things DirecTV carries is sporting events. Right. Right. So what often shows up at a sporting event? Um, up up those, in the those sky. Hats, up those in the hats sky. that you wear that have two beers in them with the straw. Todd, I know you think pro wrestling is in fact a sport <laughs> and in a lot of ways you're right i'm not going to fight you on this okay i'm okay. not i'm not going to go to the mat with you on this oh, oh, oh yeah collective okay. moan from the listeners that's right that's right not coming at you off the top rope here be more lofty in your search but okay. uh, oh 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 the blue angels yes uh nailed it y- hmm Maybe. Well, let's just say, so when the Blue Angels fly by, you know, sometimes they'll leave like trails of smoke and that kind of thing. Right. Right. When this thing flies by, if it's leaving a trail of smoke, that means there's a lot of problems. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, I told you, I showed you my hand on where my incidental icon is based. Give me a hint. Where where would I find yours besides up in the sky? Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a couple more hints. Okay. I hope this line of questioning hasn't made you too tired. No, no, not yet. No. Well, at some point, the rubber's going to meet the road. Oh, okay. I get it. Now we're talking hints. Would this have anything at all to do with where you grew up? It just might. It It just might. might. Like, like, like somewhere near Akron I in would Akron I would say yes I think you oh, okay. I think you're dancing right around it I am I'm smelling the what you're burning there dude we're talking about the Goodyear blimp aren't we we are we are the Ooh, one the only nice. except no substitute the Goodyear blimp dag I've always wanted to ride in that so um you're gonna tell me you rode in it is that what you're gonna tell me I wish now okay. I I have come I came close when I was a little kid, when I was growing up, when I was eight or nine. I was a very eclectic child. <laughs> so uh, mm. never wanted to be a pro wrestler though. So that's, okay. you know, that's your dream and I'm gonna let you own that. 
Um, but so far, I know you wanted to be um, a stunt car driver, right? And an yeah. NFL quarterback. Yes, yes. Okay. I mean, I still want to be both of those things. Oh, okay. Well, there you so go. So don't, yeah. Who are, who are you to shatter my dreams? I, not at all. I will not shatter or shat on your dreams <laughs> a bit. <laughs> so you wanted to be a blimp pilot, I guess, as well? Yeah, that was another thing because from when I was a little kid, Growing up in northern Ohio, I would see the blimp all the time, right? Yeah. Because it would fly to events in Cleveland. You know, there were Indians games, Browns games. It would fly down to Columbus for an Ohio State game, you know, so you're mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. driving around town or whatever, and you look up and it's like, boom, there's the blimp. It's not like it flies super high. So right. it's 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 really funny, you know, you would sort of see the skyline or whatever, and then there'd be the blimp hanging around. But, uh, yep, so I grew up near Akron, of course, where Goodyear's headquarters is, still is there now, and where there's always been a blimp ever since Goodyear started with the marketing idea of the blimp in the 20s. Mm. Yeah, sort of like right on the heels of the birth of aviation. Yep, I am among the things I wanted to be. I wanted to be a pilot. And when I was little, I was actually in a mentorship program when I was eight or nine. And uh, the gal who was a private pilot, she had like a uh, like a Cessna or a Piper or, you know, just one of these little planes. She mm -hmm. actually, okay, for, for all the millennials out there, there was a time before the internet when if you wanted to correspond with someone, you either had to pick up the phone and actually call them or you had to write a letter and i'm not sure which this woman did but believe it or not the blimp pilots got back to her and uh said yeah you know if you want to bring this kid and you want to come down and visit us come on down and we'll take you up in the blimp so it turned out it was too windy the day i was there and um, uh -huh. we're going to post some movies about this on our episode page because they explain like what the conditions are for getting a blimp up in the sky and that sort of thing. But it was too windy that day, unfortunately, to ride uh, the blimp, but I got to meet the pilots. I got to stand next to it. I'm sure my parents have a Polaroid of me, you know, somewhere at home with this. Uh, I, should ask, I should ask them to dig it up, and if I can find it, we can post it. Growing up in the 70s, growing up in the 80s, the blimp over the years has changed its look, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the blimp to me was always gray, and then the fins on the back were uh, red and blue, red, white, and blue. Kind of goes back to our 1976 podcast. This was the time when the country was red, white, and blue, you know? Right, and right. And the blimp being a symbol of the U.S. and industry, American industry, was certainly no exception to that. And before we get more into this... One of the quirkiest things, and this is still even true today with the current blimp design, one of the things that I always loved about it is it always had just one wheel for the landing gear. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's so weird. Yeah, because it's under the gondola, right? So, I mean, yeah. that's the only part that would touch the ground. It's a big balloon with this little thing with people hanging under it. So all you need is one wheel. And obviously yeah. weight is an issue, but anybody is going to know how to make a blimp tire. It's going to be Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, I would imagine. Not yeah, sure really. Not sure what the street price is of a blimp tire. I'll have to go look that up. 
Yeah, do you think it was actually a Goodyear tire, or do you think they had to get uh, one from, you know, like Bridgestone? <laughs> they had to go across town to get a Firestone tire. <laughs> get a Firestone tire. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're fresh out of blimp tires today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call it Vinny over at Firestone and get us a, right. a white wall blimp tire. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I gave you a bunch of really disparate things early on when yes. I was talking about my incidental icon. Yes. And I'm going to tell you that there's a connection here, too. I didn't even mention before that there's a blimp connection. Um, oh, in my what? Yeah, I know. Okay, I know. okay. I'm I, tying it all together. Man, okay, spill the beans. I need to know this. So oh, okay. re review these things with me again, just and for okay. the listeners out there so we can kind of keep score. Okay, so Norwegian Lighting Company. <laughs> That's How about the helpful hints? <laughs> Industrial Light and Magic. Okay. Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Atari. And uh -huh. now a blimp. <laughs> that is so obvious. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Okay, so okay. I'm gonna, the only I'm thing gonna, I think of, I think of. Well, okay, I can get part of the way there. Okay, all right. Because what I think of, and this is because my son, when he was young, was into this movie so so much, is Cars. Okay, yeah. Because there's right, a blimp well, in Cars, I think, right? That flies uh, over is. the uh, that flies it's, over the racetrack. Yeah, the Lightyear brand. Yes, um, and, yes, yes. And, uh, yes. You are you are picking up what I'm putting down. I was actually thinking about the movie Up, as a matter of fact. It uh, also has a blimp. But there's something those two have in common, isn't it? Pixar. Right, right. Okay. So I'm going to talk about Pixar. But first, I'm going to talk about this guy... This little guy, Luxo. You know what Luxo is, right? The oh, uh, the little light. Yeah, so Luxo is a Norwegian uh, lighting company. Everybody knows who Pixar is. And if you've seen their opening title sequence, you've seen Luxo. Now, this brand of lights, this desk lights, they, uh, what he does is he hops around, he jumps on top of the logo type Pixar. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But there is a great history that goes along with old Luxo Jr. too, which starts way back in 1934. Was founded, that's when the company was founded in Onslo, Norway, by a guy whose name looks like Jack Jacobson, but it's pronounced Jak Jakobsen. <laughs> Are you all right? Did you did, were you eating a chicken wing? Did you just choke or something? So, Yak, he was the founder of Luxo, and he actually started in textiles. And Luxo, the lighting company, began as a, a marketing company for textile machinery. Huh? Right? Like you following so, this along uh, a little bit. So they didn't manufacture the machinery, but they marketed the machinery. Is that right? Okay. Right. Was right. the light sort of then a marketing device in that it would be like on sewing tables or something as people were Correct. using the equipment? Okay. Correct. Okay. That's a spinoff of that. So in 1937, Jakobsen invented what he called the Luxo L1 lamp. And this is the swivel lamp that we've all seen, uh, was, it's been on like desktops in art studios for decades. 
super balanced, has the springs on it, you know, it allows for the lighted head of the lamp to move around in many different positions and it kind of eliminates shadows on your desktop. Anyway, so back to Luxo. <laughs> it was uh, also the inspiration for a 1986 animated short film from John Lasseter and Pixar. Finally, I get to that destination of what I'm telling you about here. Luxo Jr. was the name of the movie from Pixar, but you're gonna have to wait because I'm gonna tell you about how Pixar launched and it is a spill the tea story all over the place where I start tying in those disparate things I mentioned. Okay. So go ahead. So you need to spend a little time while I'm talking to get your needle threaded and start stitching all this together? I've got a yarn. I have, I have quite the yarn. <laughs> okay, sounds great. Circling back to Goodyear, I mean, obviously it's a rubber company, but the blimp, where did this come from? How did Goodyear end up with the blimp? And how did it become such an icon for this one company? Why doesn't Firestone have a blimp? Why doesn't any other tire company have a blimp? You know, it's the Goodyear blimp. And I would argue if you were to ask anybody like, hey, what company has the blimp? I mentioned DirecTV earlier, and they certainly um, have, I think they still have it. They have an all-white blimp that goes to sporting events. Um, mm. It's actually mm -hmm. flown right over my house here in Winston-Salem. They were uh, going to a Wake Forest football game several years oh. ago, and it was uh -huh. at night. They flew in the night before to the airport, and uh, it was a beautiful evening, and I stepped outside, and I kind of heard this faint humming, and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from, and I looked straight up, and it looked like the moon was about 200 feet over my house. It reminded me of, I think it was the movie AI. Do you remember the Spielberg uh -huh. movie AI? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And how there were those hot air balloons that were like the moon. It reminded me of that. It was this surreal experience. So I went in, my son was asleep. He was young. He was, you know, a toddler. And I um, grabbed him out of his bed and I said, come with me. I want to show you something. And, uh, you know, we went outside and he's like, you know, the front yard's empty, of course. And he's like, well, what is it? And I said, I want you to just look straight up. And uh, he looked up and his mind was blown, you know? It oh, was wow. like such a fun, fun moment. Um, uh -huh. So DirecTV has a blimp, but for DirecTV, it's a more obvious thing for two reasons, right? First, Goodyear already had the blimp and it already established the blimp being used for media coverage. DirecTV is a media company, so it just made much, much, much more sense for them to have a blimp. But they arrived mm -hmm. at the blimp about, I don't know, 80, 90 years after Goodyear. How did Goodyear get it? Yeah. So the first thing is, we've all seen a blimp. You know, if I were to ask you to draw a blimp, most people can make a little thumbnail sketch of what a blimp sort of looks like. It's kind of like a, like drawing a little bomb, the nose on one end, you know, it's kind of football shaped. It's got right. little fins on another end, and then it has the little basket, the little gondola I mentioned earlier with the one fun uh, wheel hanging off Tiny of it. Tiny little tire on yeah, the bottom. Yeah, the Goodyear tire on the bottom. But who invented it? And why are they so popular, right? So what happened? Mm -hmm. You had mentioned 1937 earlier um, mm -hmm. when Luxo was founded. Well, people know what a Zeppelin is, if for no other reason, of course, than the Hindenburg disaster in New Jersey. If you remember that footage, when the Hindenburg was crashing, it had sort of a structural cage to it. 
filled right. with hydrogen, which is why it was uh, catching on fire. So the envelope is rigid. It has this internal framework. And uh, that was invented by a guy in Germany named Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin. Um, I forget what a product is called when it is named after the inventor. Do you remember what that term of art is? I don't. Uh, we'll, we'll look it up. Uh, and like, we'll, well, we'll the only word that comes to mind is eponymous. Is that how you say that? You mean the, an the animal what? in the zoo? <laughs> yeah, that one too. Uh, yeah. Well, it that was, well that was that was discovered. That animal was discovered by the famous explorer Eponymous. So I mean, yes, it makes right. complete sense. <laughs> but you know, a blimp. So a blimp is truly a giant balloon, or it's actually mm -hmm. a series of balloons inside a giant balloon, because the the smaller balloons fill with air to use as ballast to lower or raise the blimp, right? Because mm -hmm, air mm -hmm. being no lighter, no heavier. Because I've always wondered that, like a hot air balloon, you know, always has these little sandbags they need to drop, but like how they figure it out with a blimp. So the only rigid pieces on a blimp are the tail fins, a little bit in the front with a nose cone, and then the gondola, which we mentioned earlier. Part of the reason that it was such a good promotional tool is you could pack it up. Like when it was deflated, it was actually pretty small all things considered, mm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's bigger than a hot air balloon, but not by much. And then, those used in, in combat, like in, in war and stuff? It's funny Did... you mention that. Yeah, I mean, naturally, anything that gives you a vantage point for your enemy or, or any sort of advantage over another group is certainly going to be used for military purposes. And yeah, World War One. that's exactly what happened. So that was really when the blimp started to become a thing versus a novelty. You know, mm -hmm, once, once mm -hmm. you sort of get a military contract, things, pun intended, take off. Hey, yeah, see what I did there. I did, I did, I did. Yeah, and now we have no listeners anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the, but please continue. Yeah, they all took off as well. So the name, right? Blimp is pretty quirky. Now, I do remember yeah. this word. So on December 5th, 1915, during World War I, a uh, British commander, A.D. Cunningham of the Royal Navy, was in France, and he was inspecting a fleet of non-rigid airships. That's what they were called. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he tapped one of the balloons with his finger, and he sort of heard this resonant sort of sound, you know, this blimp kind of uh -huh. flicking a giant balloon and uh -huh. and the name just stuck so it was uh -huh. total onomatopoeia and really? after that people just started referring to it as a blimp and also because blimp rolls off the tongue much better than non-rigid non airship. airship yeah yeah, right, yeah right. right so okay well that's all fine and good but how does goodyear figure into this right so we've right. already talked about goodyear at the time i believe it was the largest rubber company in the world it may still be today i don't remember off the top of my head if not it certainly is one of the largest rubber companies in the world and they began building blimps for the military as the u.s entered world war one but okay so hold on yes so blimps are actually made of rubber they're like rubber skins over a bunch of balloons a handful of balloons yeah 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 so okay. it's pretty thick rubber and then it's painted so you think about a blimp kind of being like a flat silver sort of color like yeah, that's a yeah. paint that is sprayed on there and applied to it and everything like that i'm sure originally in addition to like waterproofing and protection it was camouflage you put it up in the sky it's fairly gray it's not going to be as noticeable right right so these blimps are being made goodyear's cranking out these blimps but 
Also, around this time, you got to keep in mind, the Wright brothers wasn't that long ago. It was about a decade and a half before World War One. I. I mean, it's astonishing yeah, to right. think about that's this, right. right? World War One is called the first modern war. And mm -hmm. uh, it's the first war, certainly, where aviation played a part, right? So all these things are happening. And then, of course, the war ends. But all of these pilots, you know, it almost goes back to what we were talking about with street culture, when you had all these ex-military folks who came back after World War II and they were still tinkerers and they were right, working on right. their cars and all these sorts of things. Well, you had all these flyboys who came back. So what were they doing? They still wanted to fly a plane. You didn't really have commercial air travel. Think about like Charles Lindbergh and all these sorts right. of folks, all these things that were happening in the 20s. Wing walking, barnstorming, all of this stuff that's happening. And Goodyear recognized this. They're looking around. They had made these blimps for the military, and a guy named Mickey Whitman, who worked for Goodyear, saw marketing potential, as he should. Right. <laughs> so the first Goodyear blimp, the Pilgrim, was launched in 1925. And huh, okay. I know you're probably thinking John Wayne named it, but that is not, in <laughs> fact, the case. The blimps were always named after the winners of the America's Cup yacht race. What? So that's where no that came idea. from. Yeah, it's crazy. So now, today, currently, the blimps are called Wingfoot, like Wingfoot 1, Wingfoot 2, which... Yeah, like the, the Mercury symbol, their, their logo symbol. Exactly, exactly. And the blimps now are blimps really in name only because beginning in 2014, um, Goodyear actually stopped making their own blimps and they started working with the Zeppelin company. So the blimps are a little bit bigger now. The gondola, rather than being centered underneath, is forced forward and it's mm -hmm. actually now semi-rigid. The blimps you see today that are blue and yellow and much more sort of sleek and contemporary looking. They're actually kind of like cheating the whole blimp idea. But mm -hmm. because Goodyear is known for the blimp, it's just, it's always going to be a blimp. Right, right. Yeah, because they other, otherwise they'd have to market it as a Zeppelin-like non-rigid airship. Semi, yeah, semi-rigid. It does, yeah. yeah, again, we're having trouble saying it. And we love to talk. Imagine people who don't love to talk and listen to yeah, each other, really. how difficult it'll be for them. That's right. That's right. But I want to touch on one other amazing thing about the blimp. And you and I have actually brought this up in conversations in the past. And mm -hmm. I talked about covering sporting events and all these sorts of things. But you and I, I remember a while ago, we had talked about how we both growing up had a model of the Goodyear blimp. And one of the things yeah. that we both loved about it was that it had light up messages on the side, just like the real blimp. Right, right. My parents bought one for me from the Goodyear store. Um, you know, obviously it was a promotional item and uh, you could put messages in it and they would scroll and you could change the messages. Oh man, I love that so much. I loved it too. The good news is they actually, I don't know if they're still making it today, but the blimp that you and I remember, the one I described earlier with the red, white, and blue tail fins and all mm -hmm, this sort of mm -hmm. thing, I have found, and I'll post it, um, YouTube videos where actually people have bought the model today, you know, 30 years later. They bought oh, wow. the model, put it together, and show how it actually works. Yeah. But yeah. if we're talking about culture, Todd, with this podcast, of course, we talk about design. But what else do we talk about? We talk about pop culture. Damn Elliot. right. And All right. So and I'm sure the, the Goodyear blimp has made its mark flying through parts of pop culture, hasn't it? Have you ever heard of—there was— um, 
some group in the 60s i can't yeah. can't remember their name i think they were big for a while they're from great britain great britain yeah, yeah. Okay. uh oh. they kind of had these matching haircuts um oh, they, they yeah. were on oh, ed oh. sullivan uh, what, Be- beatles i think is how you pronounce yes. it beatles? Yeah, beatles? yeah 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 oh yeah yeah so what is the what does the blip have to do with the beatles <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I just wanted to bring the Beatles. Yeah, okay. No, no, well, no, no. Now we know so, it. Yeah. So the blimp was in the movie Help. Really? Yeah. Okay. The blimp had a cameo and also Beach Blanket Bingo with Frankie oh, and Annette. Now you talking. Yeah. Now you talking. Yes. Great movie there. Okay. But not to be outdone by faux events, right? Like trumped right. up media stuff here. Let's go with a couple actual milestone events. So, of course, we all remember the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989 in San Francisco, right? That was happening during the World Series. Yeah. And um, so when that happened, the blimp actually helped with the earthquake. Well, I mean, it was there. Obviously, it was covering the World Series. So, you know, it helped with messaging and things like that. And then also, a few years later, in 1992, when Hurricane Andrew hit, it helped, Mm -hmm. you know, because communications knocked out. This is actually Mm -hmm. really, really Mm -hmm. fascinating. So they used the lights on the side of the blimp to message hurricane survivors and tell them that help was on the way and what they should do and all that sort of thing. Wow. I had no idea. But... Now, this is the best thing of all, I think, out of out of all the stuff we've talked about with pop uh-huh. culture. College Football Hall of Fame. Obviously, right. the blimp covers all these sporting events. In January of 2019, the Goodyear blimp was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Hell yes, and finally. And it's, it's only non-human member <laughs> of the college football. So it wasn't the first down marker. It wasn't... It wasn't you, a football. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the helmet. Yeah, it wasn't anything right. like that. Yeah, the the blimp, the Goodyear blimp. So... That is amazing. I mean, the blimp, you love it, I love it. I think a lot of our listeners love it. But the blimp, you in a prior podcast used the phrase range of awesome when you were describing right. Cooper Black. The blimp to me is range of awesome just in terms of pop culture, because chances are if it's going down, there's probably a blimp close by. That's right. And you know what? That is the range of awesome, incredibly inflated range of awesome. That's what that is. (laughs) Sky high range of awesome. Sky high range of awesome right there. Todd, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel a bit uh, deflated. You know, Elliot, I'm a little surprised because you're usually the one filled with the hot air. Funny. (laughs) Well, I'm off for a brisk walk around the neighborhood, a bowl of peanuts, and a quick drink refill. Okay, see you in a minute. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.
Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait, we do want people to visit, right? Oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling, tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. So, yeah, I'm still uh I'm still kind of fascinated by the Goodyear blimp being nominated or being, excuse me, being inducted into the uh, football Hall of Fame. That's pretty amazing. To my knowledge, Luxo Jr. has not been put in any Hall of Fame yet, but will. So, Elliot, what I was telling you before is this is a lighting brand from Norway. Pretty popular lights. Been making them since 1937. And it was the inspiration for a short 1986 animated movie that John Lasseter did. And this was really the first thing that came out of the new Pixar. All right, now, what is the new Pixar? Well, first, let me tell you about this movie. Probably have seen it. It's a two-minute short film. It revolves around a parent and child desk lamp. And the larger lamp is named, oddly enough, Luxo Sr. And it looks on while this younger Luxo Jr. kind of comes out and annoys the older one, plays exuberantly with this ball and bounces it around, chases it around until the ball accidentally deflates, deflating Luxo's Jr.'s exuberance at the same time. So this film, it was actually a story that was built from a bunch of different modeling tests by John Lasseter, and it was inspired by his Luxo desk lamp so as he was kind of really getting into computer graphic animation, um, he was doing modeling tests, um, shadow tests and things like that. And for his subject, he used his desk lamp, Luxo. It makes a lot so, of sense though, right? Because yeah, it's- It was there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's there. But also if you think about it, it's a series of geometric shapes. Right, right. And so he, uh, so what he kept looking at was like, oh, okay, it's kind of a cool looking thing. It's got a lot of interesting movement to it. And he was inspired to turn it into a story. So not just pictures of lamps and things like that, but he was told, and this is such a great quote, that um, you can tell a story even in 10 seconds. So a two minute short film uh, needs a story and thus became Luxo Jr. But the question is, 
why did he make a two minute short film in the first place? This was Pixar's first animation after being spun out from Industrial Light and Magic's computer division. They called it the Graphics Group, which I know, crazy inventive name there. Um, <laughs> well, they again, saved all their creativity for the two minute movie, I guess. Right, right, right. Um, well, that was Industrial Light and Magic's group. Called oh, the oh, oh, group. I see, I see, I um, see. And it was spun out um, from uh, George George uh, Lucas. Lucas, I think is his name, made a movie or two. He has a nice um, uh, nice flowing head of hair. I think that's he, the thing most people remember about George Lucas. He, he does, yeah. Um, and anyway, this was 1986. Okay. Now, you ready to spill some tea? Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I, you've been dancing around this. You've been uh, tempting us, and uh, it's time, man. Like, let's okay. let's let her rip. All right. So this graphics group that was spun out from uh, ILM was assembled from leaders of New York Institute of Technology. That would be Ed Catmull and Alvy Smith. Also, John Lasseter, who was recently fired from the Walt Disney Company for, guess what? Promoting computer animation. <laughs> and assembled with those guys is a small team from a company called Cadabrascope, which was an early computer animation studio that George Lucas bought in a fire cell from a guy named Nolan Bushnell. Mm. Now, that name may start to conjure up some stuff because Nolan Bushnell was a major entrepreneur who gave us, among other businesses, Chuck E. Cheese and Atari, the yes. makers of Pong. Yes. There right? is an amazing, for those of you out there, um, obviously you like podcasts if you're listening to this one, there's um, How I Built This with Guy Raz, I think, oh, which yeah. is, you know, yeah. and he interviews Nolan Bushnell. So do you, um, do you know why, um, uh, sorry, I'm taking us on a quick tangent here. Do you know why he uh, invented Chuck E. Cheese? Well, yeah, so um, so he could place video um, games inside, and uh, that's why he also uh, invented the small studio, Cadabrascope, as well. Yeah, it was because people, <laughs> he said, people get burgers too fast, but if you order a pizza, you have to wait 20 minutes for them to make it. <laughs> and during that 20 minutes, you can pump quarters into video games. Like, that was his rationale, which, yeah. is, which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so he was head of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese and then this video company. So he was trying to wrap it all together. But anyway, George Lucas bought that little bit of, of his empire in a fire cell because at the time, the Chuck E. Cheese business was not doing very well. So Nolan Bushnell was trying to sell off bits. So he sold off the Cadabrascope bit, which became part of Industrial Light and Magic, which became part of Pixar. Ah, uh, okay. All right, tea still spilling, Elliot. I mentioned fire cell. So back when the those members were still part of industrial light and magic george lucas had to have his own fire cell because he was having what cash flow difficulties stemming from his 1983 divorce with a reported settlement of 50 million dollars well and just to take another quick tangent um apparently at the same time spielberg was going through his divorce and they say oh. that's why Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is such a dark film because both oh. of the creators were going through divorces at the same time. Interesting. I didn't know that. Well, and you wouldn't think that someone of George Lucas's caliber would 
be worried about $50 million because he had just made three of the biggest movies of all time uh, in the Star Wars trilogy. But there was also a sudden revenue drop from Star Wars license, uh, the figures and the toys, which he owned out completely. That dropped because the last movie had been made, Return of the Jedi. So made three huge movies in six years, um, but no movie was in sight. No tease of a movie was in sight. So this group was spun out and it had its major investor who helped to spin it out, a guy, uh, last name, Last name Jobs, first name Steve, heard of him? He was recently fresh out of a job at Apple and he paid $10 million, $5 million for working capital and then $5 million to George Lucas for the technology rights to these, to like Render Man, which is what it was called then. Yes. It wasn't even known as Pixar, right? Yes, yes. So um, interestingly enough, still spilling the tea here, in this ironic twist, these two contractor kids worked for remember our guy nolan bushnell the serial entrepreneur these two contractor kids worked for this entrepreneur back in the mid 70s they used atari parts to build their own personal computer and they tried to convince nolan to sell hardware this was atari right and he's like oh hell no like atari is about games and stuff like that we're not selling computers because he was a very wise businessman <laughs> um so he said he said no to these two contractors. So Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs went on to start Apple with that, um, which is crazy because, you know, that we could have been like sitting here on our Atari phones now if that were the case. Well, my first home computer was actually an Atari home computer. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was an Atari 800XL. So Did you play any Pong on it? You know, it did have a cartridge slot. You could play all yeah. kinds of different stuff on it. The main yeah. game I played on it, and this is kind of digging into esoteric stuff, was a game called Karateka. So you can go look that up. Um, that was a pretty awesome karate game. But the bigger thing that I wanted to mention, one thing I love about Apple, a lot of times they'll put Easter eggs in their products, um, mm -hmm. which which, mm -hmm. if you know the backstory, it's wonderful. And if you don't, it's, it's fine. You're certainly not suffering for it. Um, years ago, for example, if you bought QuickTime Pro, the way they showed you how to fill out the registration for QuickTime Pro was if uh -huh. Carl Spackler from Bushwood Country Club registered, uh, <laughs> you know, for like, like Carl would need QuickTime Pro. I assume it was to edit all his Gopher films. I'm not sure about that. But the original iPod had Breakout on it. There was one game on it that was in the software, and it was Breakout. And the reason that Breakout was on there yeah, was because yeah. when Steve Jobs was at Atari. That was the game that he helped code yeah. when he was at Atari. Yeah. He and Wozniak both. That yeah. was the game they both helped um, uh, create. So how, ama um, how amazing, though, is that, that uh, when the iPod rolled out, they still tipped the hat to that, to their, their early days at Atari? So, again, I kept telling you about how all of these things are tied together. And the, the two Steves, the two kids, worked for Nolan Bushnell, tried to get him to sell personal computers. Uh, he said no. Um, but then, even more ironic twist, they interact again. In 1976, Steve Jobs actually goes to Nolan and says, if you'll give me $50,000, I will give you one-third of Apple. 
I think at this point in time, hadn't Nolan Bushnell sold Atari to Warner Brothers? No, I think he sold it to Bally. So before I get to back to Pixar for a second, um, if Nolan Bushnell would have taken that deal for $50,000 in 1976, he would be worth today $667 billion. Like, what, one-third ownership of Apple. That's crazy. So, okay, back to 1986, Luxo's debut in a uh, short film, two-minute film, uh, this new company that was formed, this graphics company, they were only focused on selling technology. Um, they weren't selling animation. Like, they wanted to sell the hardware uh, that they were using. And to show off the technology, they created uh, short films to show at SIGGRAPH. Um, you know, big technology show happens every year. So this, they created this film, Luxo Jr., to be shown at SIGGRAPH 1986, and it was crazy enthusiastically received like so much so it like standing ovation and it was even nominated for a best animated short film from the academy awards of that year being the first cgi film ever nominated for an academy award that's amazing so, i i think yeah. I, I think i even read like the standing ovation happened before the movie was over. It did, yeah. <laughs> and before then, the movie keep was in mind, over. this is a two-minute movie. <laughs> a two-minute movie about a lamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so they struck was, gold. They amazing. struck gold, they Jerry. Did. They did. That's gold, Jerry. So you know that tells you something. Luxo Junior now has become a company icon. So with the success of that, this little lamp starts appearing in more things associated with Pixar. He had, first of all, he had a role in Toy Story, the first Toy Story. Um, and then after Toy Story, every subsequent movie, he shows up in Pixar's production logo, the logos that appear before the movie starts. And what he does, he hops out, he stops, he's next to the letter I of Pixar, he jumps on top of it, and he kind of like jumps up and down and squashes it like he did his rubber ball. And then he kind of looks around and looks directly at us, the audience, and it, everything goes black except for his lighted head. And that's pretty much been that way. There's been some variations um, to reflect different concepts of movies, like in Cars and WALL-E and things like that. But the Luxo symbol has been so ingrained uh, as part of Pixar, like we see it all the time. And again, it just started as this humble little desk lamp that John Lasseter was using as a model to do tests with. Okay, uh, I, 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 just... I, I feel I need to step in and, and interrupt you here. Okay. Okay, because things are going so well for Pixar, going so well for our friend Luxo. Right. You mentioned, well... you know, just knowing, knowing how you like to weave a tale. Yes. Something tells me we're about to have our behind-the-music moment. We did. Right now would be the part where the music changes okay. and it gets a little darker. Okay. So, what happened when this magic happened? Did, back did, in 19... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did John Lasseter and Ed Catmull and company, did they like take, you know, like a 500 foot extension cord into a hotel room at SIGGRAPH and did they plug in the light and while it was still lit, did they toss it out the hotel window into the pool? 
Was it well, that kind of party? Not exact. No, no, no. It, oh. it, it was. It was probably not near, nearly as exciting as that. But, oh man, I was. But, I was thinking of true behind the behind the music moment. I know. I know. True rock star moments. But nonetheless, a lawsuit did happen. Okay. Which is I want to hear. Funny. Yeah, I want to hear the juicy details. Okay. So as I said in 1986, when Luxo made his uh, debut, John Lasseter had a handshake agreement with the Luxo company that allowed them to use that as part of their studio branding and certainly use the name and connection to the character. Okay, so um, so I was worried he hadn't even bought, you know, if you're sitting in a room, you look at your light and you're like, I'll just use that. The first thing to cross your mind isn't I ought to call up this company in Norway and make sure it's okay for my right, two minute right, movie. Right. Okay, so at least he right. did that. So that was above board. Yeah, and all okay. things were, they had this great amicable relationship for 23 years. Well, heck, we it's free, it's free advertising for them, right? Yeah. I know. For 23 years until dun, 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 September 2009. And guess what happened? The music Guess stopped. What That's what happened. That's right. Pixar's parent company, Disney, started to uh, sell uh, limited edition promo packs for the movie Up. Remember, we were yes. talking about Blimps earlier. Yes, yes. And packaged, packaged with all of these premium like DVD Blu-rays for Up. Can I can it? I can I have a guess here? Can I make a guess? Yeah, yeah, you know what it is. Knowing Disney and knowing how you know Disney has never really met a promotional product, certainly a character-driven promotional product it didn't like. My guess is everybody got a little Luxo lamp, a little toy Luxo, am I right? A little toy Luxo lamp that worked. Oh, really? Um, it truly lit up? Yes, it truly lit up. <laughs> uh, it was battery powered. Now, here's okay. where the problem happened. It was made out of plastic. Uh, the Luxo company does not make things out of plastic. Right. Um, so they filed a lawsuit with this uh release of this package coming up and they said you know we've got a problem with that because it's cool if you want to use the name as a character it's cool if you want to use it on your logo but when you start making stuff when it's physical when it's actually out in the world and it can be mistaken for something that we made because it looks exactly like something we would make right and and it's not as good a quality yeah yeah it's a toy it wasn't meant to be a desk lamp yeah And for some reason, they also had a problem with the um, large dancing audio uh, animatronic Luxo Jr. at Disney Hollywood Studios. And the only reason I can figure out that they had a problem with that was it was really stupid. Um, because (laughs) Because it looks like a little kid. If you see the video, we'll post a video. If you see it, it looks like a little kid dressed completely in white wearing a hoodie who's trying to poop. Like he's like, instead of dancing, he looks like he's trying to poop. Oh man. Um, so, so I'm guessing they had, you know, the Norwegians don't like that kind of stuff. You know what? I'm an American and I don't like it either. <laughs> well, see, there you go. You have some Norwegian blood. Um, but I know the question is, well, how did this end? Right. 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 Um, well, uh, Lots of chitter chatter on the interwebs where people are saying, you know, Disney should have known better. That's just stupid. They should have known not to do that. Oddly enough, the lawsuit was dismissed by the plaintiff, Luxo, just two months later in November. And 
The special packaging with the collectible lamp had a limited release of 500, and it had to carry a sticker that said, Luxo Jr. is not made by Luxo of Norway. And um, the dancing Luxo in Hollywood studios uh, went away in under a year as well after that. So, you know, they had to make a few concessions, but um, all things considered, I think things are still back good in, in Pixar and Luxo land. Uh, they're, they're still working together, but hopefully Disney learned their lesson and will not try to make other people's products now. <laughs> so the fate <laughs> of these 500, this limited release, are these things seen as like totally valuable and collectible because they're so few or? Crazy valuable, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the price tag was $199 to begin with. Well, it is a Blu-ray disc. Well, and yeah, I know. And uh, and a plastic uh, battery-powered light. Every bit so, of $200, I think. So crazy limited. Now, here's something that is even more crazy. In the UK, they had a special package that all I could find was only released there. And it was a set of five Blu-rays and DVDs, plus all the special Luxo Jr. Uh, movies with the lamp for guess what $999 so there's that you know I and I could find no more uh, on that one my guess is they probably had about 500 of those but that was only in the UK mm. so there you go little bit of lawsuit juiciness there from our little guy Luxo suing Pixar and Disney. Well, suing the parent company, Disney. But now things are back happy in Pixar land. So, Elliot, there's a couple takeaways that I think tie things together, and I want to know what you think. One is, these are just objects, right? But we've added more emotion, and we've added story to them. Blimps represent these great times that we have at events, football games, seeing them as kids they're historical um luxo obviously was a movie it was just a lamp but it was a movie that that had emotion built into it and people have fallen in love with it so much so that they're paying you know, 199 dollars for a package now yes um i mean i had a bunch of goodyear blimp toys when i was little yeah, um like, and, and and you they're did still you even around. Know what Goodyear, did you know that Goodyear made tires also? Actually, at that time? I, I can tell you I did. And the reason uh -huh. I did is because growing up in the Midwest, um, I know, Todd, this might be sacrilegious to you since we are in the belly of the beast in NASCAR country. Although, mm -hmm, ironically, mm -hmm. the Midwest, actually, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is now NASCAR country, I think, as well. But, um, you know, when I was growing up, um, Indy 500. And so naturally there were Formula One cars sponsored by Goodyear. Actually, also, right, right. now that I remember, there was actually the Cleveland Grand Prix, which was a Formula One race. There was an, there was an airport, I believe it's still around today, called Burke mm -hmm. Lakefront Airport in Cleveland. And every summer they would... to see how many, how many cars you could set on fire or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually it was just Evil Knievel jumping over cars. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but uh, no, but it was a Formula One race. And that was you know obviously Goodyear sponsored racing teams and uh, the blimp naturally just being you know a little less than an hour away it was coming up and covering that for obvious marketing reasons as well as media reasons so for that reason I was very very familiar with what Goodyear was even when I was a little kid yeah oh cool cool 
So again, I think it's cool. We're not talking about the logos for these companies. Um, we're talking about things that are used oh, to represent yeah. those yeah. companies. Yeah, I mean, if you had either like an icon, like a like a silhouette yeah. of either the Goodyear blimp or the Luxo lamp, and you said to somebody, "What company?" I mean, if I remember correctly, you know, with the Pixar animation at the beginning, the the title animation, the head, quote unquote, the lamp part swings around so much. There are silhouettes of the lamp and the letters and mm -hmm, casting mm -hmm. these fun shadows and everything. Mm -hmm. It's so iconic, and you're exactly right. It's not the logo; it's the object, but the object becomes the logo. But again, right. these are both Goodyear didn't <laughs> didn't become the largest. Um, rubber company in the world by selling blimps to the military. It was selling tires to the burgeoning automotive and airline industries and everything like that. Right, right, right. right. You know, just the same way Pixar... And, and Pixar uh, and Disney... Did not try to confuse the public by making desk lamps. Well, they did, uh, they did a... once. <laughs> exactly. Which is another great lesson because uh, when we're talking about these icons that are crossing over businesses, you got to get your legal shit straight yeah. if you're going to be uh, involving somebody else's property, right? Yeah. Well, I remember when I was very, very little, I had a ton of Matchbox cars. You know, we talked about the Dukes of Hazard, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. obviously I knew what, what those cars were from the TV show. But I remember having a bunch of Matchbox cars. Or later, my brother had a bunch of, like, original 1980s Transformers. And, of course, I wish my brother and I had saved all these toys because... I wouldn't be talking to you from, you know, my little podcast closet. I'd be talking to you from my private podcast island because I would have sold all That's that right. stuff, right? That's right. And, um... Yeah, I remember my dad saying, oh, well, that wasn't that's an Oldsmobile, or, oh, that's a Cadillac, or that's, you know, this, or that's that. And I remember being astonished by the fact that he knew what all these cars were, because I thought they were all made up. It's just like, right, ah, let's right. just make car B <laughs> different from car A. And, uh, of course, Mattel, which made Hot Wheels and, you know, Matchbox and all these different companies and Transformers, you know, with their the Lamborghini and the VW Bug and all this kind of stuff. Right, right. They all had to go to these companies and get permission. So you talked about cars. Yeah, I remember yeah. going to a lecture with a couple of Pixar animators here at a film festival, and someone said, did uh, Pixar need to get permission because there's a portion there. There's, you mm -hmm, know, if you think mm -hmm. about all the cars in the, the town, Fiat, yeah. yeah, the Fiat, all that stuff, um, did they have to get permission? And, and they said, yes, 100%. Yeah. You know, the Ferrari, yeah. you know, at the end, the Ferrari yeah. comes, right? And, you know, yeah, all of those companies had to give. Now, I'm sure by that time, with Pixar's track record, see what I did there, pun intended? Yeah. Uh, hey, hey um, it was probably much easier to have that conversation than it would have been when Pixar was a no-name company, right? Yeah, you know, I, I'm willing to trust you with my brand assets because I think you will, we can both be successful together, right? Which is, that's a great way to look at this. Like, um, two organizations that can help each other out as long as they trust each other with the brand assets, right? Yeah. They can build yeah. on that equity. And, you know, not all companies are Goodyear, not all companies are Pixar or Luxo. Um, so I think that is a, that's a really good, that's a good way to look at it. And I wish more deals were made like that. Um, but, you know, some things don't always work out like that. Yeah. And I think to some degree you can't, you know, it's almost like, 
you and I have had the conversation before where we've both laughed when a client says, hey, can you make me a viral video? <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? I know. It's sort make of me like, one of those. It's sort of like, uh, hey, make me an amazing uh corporate marketing partnership can we have this symbiotic partnership and whatever yeah. can't you just find somebody to bolt on to whatever it is i'm selling and and it's sort of like you know sometimes it's two <laughs> groups talking to the same audience other times it's two completely different audiences and yeah, uh, but, but for whatever reason of course it just it either it's going to work or it's it's not going to work and i think um at the end of the day two things happen. I think we touched on the first one where um, these companies need to trust one another and be on the same page when it comes to how their respective brand assets are going to be presented, right? But then I think they also need to trust their fans and they need to trust the public that if this marketing works, they are going to fall in love with these things. And naturally, your fan base, they're going to emote exactly what you said they're going to inject meaning into this far and above what was initially anticipated or even intended and you've got to let that go like the best brands whether it's pixar or apple or you know atari or whatever they're wonderful because everybody has stories about them they might not Mm -hmm, know the corporate mm -hmm. pedigree or all the heritage or whatever but Oh, yeah, you know, I, I took this video on my iPhone, or I loved playing Pac-Man with my older brother mm-hmm, growing up, mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, there's all these wonderful stories. I mean, I wish I had a dollar uh, for every time I had to watch Cars on a road trip. Luckily, I really <laughs> like that movie a lot. But um, And if I didn't, I would have grown to like it. Um, yeah, right. But, uh, but yeah, you, you know, you, with repeated exposure, you understand the, you know, the charm Um and uh, the joy that that does come out of these things and you begin to understand why other people love them so much too i mean to the to the point that airbnb uh a few years ago with goodyear actually allowed you to spend a night (laughs) in the hangar in the goodyear blimp they converted it into a hotel room for some sort of giveaway (laughs) it was crazy that's crazy yeah so i mean anything's possible man man great place to leave it i need to freshen my drink how about you i do too my ice is all melted because i've been doing too much yapping (laughs) all right we will pick this back up around our virtual pub table another time sounds great see everyone soon So, Jim, we got a problem with our podcast. Right. Nobody says it correctly. (laughs) No. Some people say how to fix it. Or how do you fix it? But think of it like this. Whatever the problem, we're in this together. How do we fix it? How How do do we we fix fix it? it? Yeah. How do we fix it? The solution show from the political to the personal. Practical ideas for creative listeners. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Ideas that work. That's your radio voice, Richard. Oh, well, I know. (laughs) I love it. I couldn't do it to save my life. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network.
For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.